morning. It's good to be in the house of the Lord this morning. It's cool to be amongst fellow brothers and sisters, even though I've met some of you, but I have not met all of you. Um, we will be in 1 Kings this morning, so if you want to go ahead and open up your Bibles to 1 Kings chapter 17, we'll be reading the first 16 verses. I was, we were in Northeast Ohio one time visiting some friends. We were actually getting ready to move up there. And um, I stayed with a pastor friend of mine. He pastored a church up there. And we stayed at his house. And he said, um, we want you and your wife to take our bed. We're going to sleep on the couch. We want you guys to take our bed. And um, it, it was just awkward the whole night. It was not my house. It was not my bed. The owners of the bed were in the house. The ones that routinely slept there were there. It was just kind of awkward the whole time. I feel a bit like that with you here this morning, Dallas. I just wanted to let you know that. I'm thankful you're here. Don't get me wrong. Um, but I do feel a bit like that. I uh, think a lot of your, of your pastor. If you found 1 Kings chapter 17, and if you're willing and able, let's go ahead and stand together for the reading of God's Word. The first 16 verses. And I'm reading from the NASB, so if it sounds a little bit different than the NASB, uh, that is why. It says, now Elijah the Tishbite, who was of the settlers of Gilead, said to Ahab, as Yahweh, the God of Israel, lives, before whom, I, before whom I stand, surely there shall be neither dew nor rain these years except by my word. And the word of Yahweh came to him, saying, go away from here and turn eastward and hide yourself by the brook Cherith, which is east of the Jordan. And it shall be that you shall drink of the brook, and I have commanded the ravens to provide for you there. So he went and did according to the word of Yahweh, for he went and lived by the brook Cherith, which is east of the Jordan. And the ravens brought him bread and meat in the morning, and bread and meat in the evening, and he would drink from the brook. And it happened after a while that the brook dried up, because there was no rain in the land. Then the word of Yahweh came to him, saying, Arise, go to Zarephath, which belongs to Sidon, and stay there. Behold, I have commanded a widow there to provide for you. So he arose and went to Zarephath, and when he came to the gate of the city, behold, a widow was there gathering sticks, and he called to her and said, please, get me a little water in a jar that I may drink. He called to her and said, please, bring me a piece of bread in your hand. But she said, as Yahweh, your God lives, I have no bread, only a handful of flour in the bowl and a little oil in the jar. And behold, I am gathering sticks that I may prepare for me and my son, that we may eat it and die. Then Elijah said to her, do not fear. Go, do as you have said, but make me a little bread cake from it first, and bring it out to me, and afterward you may make one for yourself and for your son. Thus says Yahweh, God of Israel, the bowl of flour shall not be exhausted, nor shall the jar of oil be empty until the day that Yahweh sends rain on the face of the earth. So she went and did according to the word of Elijah. And she and he and her household ate for many days. The bowl of flour was not exhausted, nor did the jar of oil become empty, according to the word of Yahweh, which he spoke through Elijah. Let us pray. Heavenly Fathers, we pray for you today. Lord, we are so thankful that your well never runs dry. Lord, that we cannot even begin to plumb the depths of your well. And Lord, this morning I just pray that we would see that you are never exhausted, Lord. That you never lack. That you always provide to your people what is needed, what is necessary. For your honor and glory, Father. Be with me as I stand, Lord. I need you. Amen. You may be seated. When my youngest was born, she just squinted her eyes at me. That's her thing that she knows she doesn't like what I'm getting ready to say. When my youngest was born, she was born with a congenital heart defect. So she had Tetralogy of Fallot. I guess still technically has Tetralogy of Fallot. 
Um, four things were wrong with her heart. The main thing being she had a hole in her heart. Um, there were some other things, but the main thing was that she had a hole in her heart. And so we happened to be living in northeast Ohio at this time. So we had gotten through the night at the pastor's house and ended up moving to northeast Ohio. And we were able to go to Cleveland Clinic, which is an amazing hospital up there, and um, saw the best doctors, everything, you know, multiple appointments, found out it wasn't just a a congenital heart defect. There were other things going on. But ultimately, she was going to have to have open heart surgery at four, five, six months of age, just just depended on on how she was progressing, how bad the, the defect was. And so we went through all that, and at five months, that's, that's when the doctor said, this is when she needs to have this surgery. She had grown as much as she could, was not able to grow any further because of, of that hole. Um, she needed to have the surgery, and we were like, yes, absolutely, let's have the surgery. Um, so she went through, had the surgery. It was a success. It was an amazing success. I think two, maybe three days, we were out of the hospital after open-heart surgery <laughs> on a five-month-old. That's still fine. And my wife and I got home, and we were, you know, very excited about all this. And, and then the, the bill from Cleveland Clinic came. And all those doctor's visits from over five months, open-heart surgery, professional surgeon, two doctors, I think, were there actually doing the surgery at the time. That bill was around $500,000. $500,000. Now, some of it, insurance paid for. Thankful for insurance. I work in insurance, so... Thankful for insurance for that. Um, some of it was written off because of the deal they have with the insurance company. That's a completely different discussion. We're not going to get into today, but that was the arrangement they had, so we're thankful for that as well. Um, but then it came to our out-of-pocket max, and we, we maxed out our insurance that year, and our out-of-pocket max was $10,000. Um, we didn't have $10,000. I don't even think at that time we had $100 in our, in our savings account. We were pretty pretty poor. Um, and so we were wondering what we we're going to do with this. How is this, how's this, gonna, how's this bill going to get paid? We just didn't know. We were, we were asking God, you know, what's going to happen. I, I had a good job at that time, but I just started and couldn't take out a loan or anything. Didn't really have any, any sort of credit. We were renting a house, living in a, in a house uh, we didn't own. And then some people came uh, that said, we will pay that bill for you. So they wrote us a check for $10,000, and they paid that bill for us. Fast forward a couple of weeks. The story doesn't end here. Um, It gets better. (laughs) Maddie's patch came loose. We knew that that was a potential. She's here today, so you know how the story ends. It ends well, so don't don't be fearful. Um, But the patch came loose. It dehissed, I think is the actual medical term. Doctors didn't know why, but they're going to have to go and do another open-heart surgery a month later. And she actually, a few days before, and what preempted them to do the surgery that quickly, she was in heart failure over Christmas that year. It was a very memorable Christmas. And so absolutely, we took her back to the doctors, and here's what we do. And open-heart surgery, yeah, it worked really well before, we thought, so let's go back to the doctors, and let's have this surgery. And the second surgery came, and and went, and they, they said, they, the doctor coming back into the waiting room, and he said, we don't know why the patch came loose. The, the part where we thought it should have gone loose, it, it didn't. It came loose at another spot, which was weird. We think maybe she has endocarditis, which is an infection of her heart. And so what we want to do is we want to keep her here in the hospital for the next month, and we're going to run a, a pick line straight to her heart and feed her antibiotics directly to her heart. It was a really difficult time, as you can imagine. Elizabeth stayed with Maddie six days of the week. I was working with my company, but I was actually working like 60, 70 hours a week. So our routine was she would, or I would, I would go to the hospital on Saturday afternoon, evening sometimes. She would leave. We'd spend about an hour together. She would leave so she could be home with the other two kids that we had. And then I would stay there through Sunday into Sunday afternoon, and then she would come back, and then we would trade off. That was kind of our routine for three or four weeks. And got to the end of that, and the doctor said, she doesn't have endocarditis. I don't know why the patch came loose. Um, But it should be good now. Of course, we were a little wary about that. 
but should be good now. So we go home, and we're like, okay, we think we're past this. And then there's another bill that comes, <laughs> another bill. And, and I told you she was in heart failure at Christmas. The surgery happened January 6th, so guess what? We, we were in a new year, and if you're familiar with insurance, there's a whole new deductible at that point. So we get the whole bill again. It's quite expensive, not quite $500,000, but still pretty expensive because she did spend a month in the hospital um, under that care. And again, our out-of-pocket max, $10,000. We met it again that year. And by that time, she had, she had grown up, and we were, we were making payments, and we were trying to do all these different things. And we had moved down to Georgia, and we were still trying to make payments, and we were calling them and saying, we just don't have the money. We would, try to, we would like to pay more, but is there something we can do? And then all of a sudden, my wife called them one day, and the hospital said, well, you don't have a balance. There's nothing here. You don't have to set up a payment plan. And we know who the first beneficiaries were, or the, the first people that gave us the money, but we have no idea the second thing, the second time it happened. We don't know. We, we have thoughts that maybe the doctor just wrote it off. I, I don't, we don't know. We don't know. But in both situations that seemed hopeless to us, God provided. God provided. And that's what we see here in 1 Kings, these first 16 verses. And I'm thankful. I don't know if it was just, um, just divine providence. One of you planned it, but the Old Testament reading, that's where I was going to go first. Deuteronomy chapter 11, so I won't have to read that back to you. If you recall back to that Old Testament reading, what did we hear in the law? We heard that if Israel obeyed God, if they followed his commandments, rain would come. Early rain, rain, grass, wine, oil, it would be, it would be provided to Israel in abundance even, grass for the cattle. They would eat, they would be satisfied. It was the blessings, the part of Deuteronomy where there's blessings and curses listed out. But then we see the flip side to that, don't we? What happens if they don't obey God? What happens if they turn from Him? The rain would stop. There would be nothing to eat. The grass would wither away. There would be no food for the cattle. There would be no flour or oil or wine. They would not eat. They would not be satisfied. Fast forward about 600 years from when that was penned, when Moses penned that, and we come here to 1 Kings 17. And we see here that Elijah proclaims a drought. Why was the drought proclaimed? Let's back up a little bit. 16 tells us that. Ahab, verse 29, becomes king. The son of Omri became king over Israel in the 38th year of Asa. This is verse 29. I think I said that. King of Judah. Ahab, the son of Omri, reigned over Israel and Samaria 22 years. Verse 30, he did evil in the sight of Yahweh, or the Lord, more than all who were before him. More than all who were before him. It came about as though it had been a trivial thing for him to walk in the sins of Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, that he married Jezebel, the daughter of Ithbaal, king of the Sidonians, and went to serve Baal and worshipped him. And he erected an altar, verse 32, for Baal in the house of Baal, which he built in Samaria. And he also made Asherah. Asherah is a, a, a wooden, it's a female deity, basically. It's this wooden, wooden statue that he had built. He made the Asherah. Thus Ahab did more to provoke Yahweh, God of Israel, than all the kings of Israel who were before him. Deuteronomy 11, what did God say would happen if Israel turned aside, did not listen, turned and obeyed other gods? There would be a drought. So then Elijah comes, and he tells Ahab in verse 1, Surely there shall be neither dew nor rain these years except by my word. In the book of James, uh, this is reference. James chapter 4. don't feel like you have to because I'm getting ready to read it to you. But in James chapter 5, this is referenced, verses 17 and 18. It's in a, a, an area of Scripture that we, we probably have memorized. The effective, fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. I think that's my King James coming out in you. That's where that was first memorized. And then right after that, the effective, fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much, it says, Elijah was a man with a nature like ours. And it references 1 Kings 
17. And he prayed earnestly might not rain. And it did not rain on the earth for three years and six months. And now we have a time frame of how long it didn't rain. And he prayed again, and the sky poured, and the earth produced its fruit. So James here, trying to encourage us on the power of prayer, tells us that Elijah prayed, prayed earnestly, and it didn't rain for three and a half years. And then he prayed again earnestly, and it did rain. And I'm going to separate this just for a second from what Elijah proclaimed to happen and from what God proclaimed to happen. And I fully recognize that God ordained this event, and God very likely, although it's explicitly told in this passage or in the preceding chapter, that God told Elijah to go to Ahab and proclaim this drought, but we don't read of that happening. We just read of Elijah coming to Ahab and Elijah saying, as Yahweh, the God of Israel, lives before whom I stand, surely there will be neither dew nor rain. So Elijah proclaims a drought. And James almost seems to imply that it was because of Elijah's petition to the Lord that this drought occurred. Why would Elijah want this drought to occur? Why would he go to God and desire this drought to happen? Because that almost seems to be what's, what's being implied here in 1 Kings and in the book of James. I think it's because Elijah was concerned with the glory of God. He looked around him. He saw the prophets of Baal were going to talk about that a little bit, or you'll see bits and pieces of it. We're not going to go all the way to that famous battle, <laughs> battle, so, so to speak. <laughs> um, but he sees all these prophets. He sees his king erect this statue and, and have this, this temple to Baal and, and, and create the Asherah. And he's just beside himself. And so he petitions God because I'm, I'm sure Elijah had the, the Pentateuch, the first five books of the Bible, right? And he says, Lord, you said that that if we went away, you would proclaim a drought to, to wake people up. To help them see their need. To help them realize they can't, don't have dependence on themselves, but they need to rely on you. And so God, I want to remind you, and of course this is not in the text, I'm just, I'm just throwing this out, right? But I, Lord, I just want to remind you of what you said because these people need to be woken up. I'm your prophet and I'm tried to tell people left and right, but they will not listen. God, they need something more. I feel like that's, that's what Elijah was, was doing here when he petitioned the Lord. We read about it again in James 5, right? Petitioned the Lord earnestly. And it didn't rain for three and a half years. It didn't rain. What were the consequences of Elijah's drought? Well, Elijah didn't stick around. God told him to leave, so Elijah took off. We're going to talk about that in a second. I think God's telling us there. But even the way that God was providing for Elijah, that brook, and with the brook, we read about it in verse 7, right? The brook dried up. Why? Because there was no rain in the land. So this drought that Elijah had prayed for, earnestly prayed for, it affected him. He was impacted by it. Then we also found verse 12, we see this widow and her son that was impacted by this drought, Right? When Elijah comes on the scene and meets her, she says, I only have a handful of flour in a bowl and a little oil in a jar. I'm gathering sticks so I can make this for my son and I's last meal, and then we're going to die. I don't know about you, but we live in Portland, Tennessee, so just just across the state line. It hasn't rained for for quite some time. It seems that all the rainstorms that come through, it did rain yesterday. But besides that, it hasn't rained in a really long time. For the purpose of this illustration, bear with me on that. Um, hadn't rained for like two or three weeks. And I don't know about your grass, but my grass looks horrible. You even call it grass. It's mostly weeds at this point. Um, but it's all dried out. I haven't even mowed in the last two or three weeks because it would just be a dust storm. It would be crazy. That's three weeks. Now extrapolate that to three and a half years, which James tells us three and a half years. Jesus also tells us three and a half years in Luke, the Gospel of Luke. We have a pretty good idea of the time frame. Think of how devastating that would have been to those people. And yet I think Elijah desired God's glory, his name to be known more than anything else, that even food was of secondary importance to God's name being known amongst his people. And I said I'm going to separate this, so now let's take a look at verse 2. 
Because that's where we first see in this chapter God speaking to Elijah. Now again, disclosure, I believe God spoke to Elijah about going to Ahab and proclaiming the drought. I'm just kind of trying to separate these here for example and for point. But in verse 2, the word of Yahweh came to him saying, go away from here, turn eastward, hide yourself by the brook, by the brook Cherith, which is east of the Jordan. Elijah's drought that he proclaimed was for food. God's drought was for the lack of the word of God in Israel at that point. He tells Elijah, the prophet, the, the mouthpiece of God, who spoke, as it were, with his back to God, and then God spoke to the prophet, and then the prophet spoke to the people. Right? That's a way we can kind of think about that, and priest would be the flip of that. They spoke with their back toward the people, and they spoke to God on behalf of the people. Prophets were the other way. They were, God was speaking through them to the people. God removed Elijah from Israel at this time. Notice the words that he uses here. Go away from here. So God's telling Elijah, get out of here. Go away. Turn eastward. So turn away from where you are. Go the opposite way from where you are. And then not only does he just say, I just want you to be over here. You know, I'm going to provide for you over here. Here's the place I have for you. He says, hide yourself there. That's another indication that God is removing his word from Israel as a judgment on his people because they've not listened to him, but they've gone their own way, turned their own way. So God's telling Elijah, get out of there. Go. We read in, um, in Isaiah 55, a passage that's just been amazingly impactful for me in the last years, one that I'm sure is very familiar to all of you. But in Isaiah 55, we, we see this connection between uh, earthly rain and God's word. In verses 10 and 11, it says, For as the rain and the snow come down from the heaven and do not return there without watering the earth and making it barren, sprout and furnishing seed to the sower and bread to the eater, so shall my word be which goes forth from my mouth. It shall not return to me empty without accomplishing what I desire and without succeeding in the matter for which I sent it. We see when the rain is on the land, we can go back again to Deuteronomy 11, it provides grain and wine and oil, grass for the cattle. People will eat and be satisfied. Does God's word not do the same thing? It absolutely does. It nourishes his people. It provides strength for his people. It provides life for his people. When there's a lack of rain, when there's a lack of God's word, it has the opposite effect. It causes frailty. It causes want. It causes death. And we, if we fast forward to chapter 18 um, of, of 1 Kings, we see that Elijah here meets Obadiah. Obadiah is kind of, he's, he's a prophet, but he's, he's um, the overseer of Ahab's house. He's actually good to, to God's people. We'll talk about maybe in a little bit. Um, but Elijah meets Obadiah, and Obadiah tells Elijah, Ahab's been looking for you. He's been going into every single nation, and he's been asking the king there, have you seen Elijah? Have you seen him? And Obadiah says, not only that, he makes the king swear that they haven't seen you. This is when Elijah's coming back, God's bringing him back to Ahab to confront him. And Elijah's asking Obadiah, you want, or Elijah's asking Obadiah to go to Ahab and tell him that Elijah's coming. So Obadiah's saying, he's been looking for you, and you want me to go and tell him that you're coming now? He's going to think I was in cahoots with you. Are you crazy? Ahab had been looking for Elijah. He had been wanting to, to maybe petition him, go to God in this drought, in this suffering. Maybe he was wanting to kill him. Because we actually see at the very end of chapter 18, or the middle part of chapter 18, rather, when Elijah finally comes to Ahab, Ahab's first words to him were, is this you, you troubler of Israel? <laughs> so it doesn't sound like Ahab is repentant, does it? It doesn't sound like he's turned, like, like God has in this drought, that, that his eyes have been opened and he's seen the error of his ways. And he's returned, he's repented, and he, he wants forgiveness from God. It doesn't seem like that, does it? It seems he's even more staunch, more steadfast in his ways. Don't we see that? and the Pharisees, 
Jesus came to the Pharisees. He directly told them what was going on. And did that break the Pharisees' hearts? Some it did, yes, absolutely. Some people's hearts were rendered, rendered by that. Porn. Some people sought after God in that. But by and large, the Pharisees didn't. They became more staunch against him. More steadfast that we had to put him to death. This is not something that's going away. We have to kill him. This is our only option. We see that that God's word does that to people, doesn't it? People either see their sin, they, they see where they are before God, and they fall to their knees and they cry out to him for salvation. Or God reveals their need to them and they're like, yeah, I really don't need that. In fact, not only do I not need that, that's ridiculous. I'm going to fight against those people that think they need that. And they're just so vicious and angry and hateful toward it. That's what we see happen with Ahab here. So Elijah not only proclaimed a drought of rain, but God proclaimed a drought of his word in Israel as a judgment against Israel. So what does that leave, what is, where does that leave God's people? Where does that leave us today? How would we apply that to us? Second point this morning, first one was Elijah and God proclaim a drought. I did not tell you that. I apologize. If you're taking notes, Elijah and God proclaim a drought. That was that first point. Second point is God provides for those who are his. God provides for those who are his. Remember that beautiful chapter, Matthew chapter 6, that beautiful section where Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount is talking about the birds of the air. He's talking about the flowers and how beautiful they are. He says, look at, look at the birds. They don't store up. They're not worried about what they're going to eat. But God provides for them. Look at the flowers of the field. So beautiful. They don't go about toiling and working and doing all these things to, to bring for themselves, but God provides for them. And Jesus says an amazing statement. How much more value are you? Of how much more value are you? We are much more valuable to God than birds of the air or flowers in the field. God provides for his people. He tells us in that chapter, don't worry about food or drink or clothing. God provides. And we see that here, don't we? Look at verse 4 of chapter 17. And it shall be that you shall drink of the brook And I have commanded the ravens to provide for you there. God tells Elijah, I'm going to provide for you. You're not going to go die from hunger. I was going to say you're not going to go hungry, but he probably was hungry at times. You're not going to die from this hunger. I'm going to provide for you. Now, if I repeat preaching three or four weeks, there are many things that we we could dive into and dissect and press out of this chapter just kind of an interesting side note, a raven was considered an unclean animal by Israelites, something that God had told them, and yet God's using this unclean animal to provide food for Elijah. Morning and evening, now Elijah wasn't eating the ravens, it was like the ravens were coming and bringing him food in the morning, coming and bringing him food in the evening. He was drinking from that brook, so God provided for Elijah. He continued to provide after that brook ran dry, didn't he? Verse 9 says, Arise, go to Zarephath, which belongs to Sidon, and stay there. Behold, I've commanded a widow there to provide for you. God provided somebody else to, to, to nourish Elijah, to bring him what he needed when that brook dried up. Interesting thing here that we could dissect. That widow was from Zarephath, which is near Sidon, which is Gentile territory. Gentile territory. In fact, did you remember uh, hearing in chapter 16, where was Jezebel? He was from the land of Sidon. And where does God send Elijah? The area of Sidon. It's kind of an interesting thing there happening. Um, Not by coincidence, I believe. We don't have time this morning to go into that. But did God just provide for Elijah? No. If we fast forward again to verse 15 and 16, She went and did according to the word of Elijah, and she and he, Elijah, and her household, her son, ate for many days. 
So God not only provided for Elijah, but he provided for the widow, and he provided for the widow's son. He provides even more for the widow's son in the next part of the chapter, which we're not going to get to. What about in chapter 18? We see God's providence in this drought. Obadiah talking in verses 3 and 4. He says, it says, Ahab called Obadiah who was over the household. Now Obadiah feared Yahweh greatly. For it came about when Jezebel destroyed the prophets of Yahweh that Obadiah took a hundred prophets and hid them by fifties in a cave and provided them with bread and water. So God used Obadiah to save his prophets and to provide them with food and water. And friend, isn't this what Jesus asked us to pray when he taught his disciples to pray? Give us this day what? Food for the next 20 years or or 60 years? You know, I'm, I'm 41 right now. Maybe I'll make it another 40 years. Lord, give me enough right now for the next 40 years. Just store it up, Father. Uh, I, I promise you, I'll put it in savings. I won't spend it. Um, but it'll be enough for the next 40 years. Well, I could do that. Let's see that in Joseph. But Jesus' admonition was to pray for our daily bread. God, this is what I need today. This is what I need today. Tomorrow, I'm going to ask for what I need that day. The next day, I'm going to ask what I need that day. The pattern continues. But did God only provide, again, back to the separation that I made at the beginning, did, I, did God only provide for the widow's physical needs? Who did God send her? Elijah. God sent her Elijah, the prophet. We don't know exactly how long Elijah was with the widow. We know that it was many days, or, or days is actually what's here. I don't think many is in, the, is in the Hebrew. Household ate for days. Do you think the only thing they talked about was, well, God provided again. Praise Yahweh. No, I imagine they had deep, in-depth conversations about God, and Elijah would tell her, this is who Yahweh really is. This is, this is the, the first five books of the Bible that he would have had, and he would have gone over that with her and her son. So God took the word from Israel as a judgment, but gave it to this widow. This widow who had no standing in life. She was not someone wise, as we read about earlier today, right? In Sunday school, no one who was, she was not wise, she was not of high standing. It's like she could have said she deserved it in her standing here on earth, but God provided that to her through Elijah. And what's our priority here? Is our priority, we oftentimes think so much on the physical, but isn't our priority or shouldn't our priority be on the spiritual? You think Jesus and the woman at the well, what did Jesus entice her with at the well? If you drink from this water, you'll thirst again. But if you drink from the water I give you, you'll never thirst again. And that excited her. She's like, wait a second. You mean I won't have to come to this well again? Where's this water? That I don't have to come here. I don't have to drink. I don't have to draw water again. Then he explained to her about him. Explained to her about him. And then remember, the very same chapter, the, the apostles come on the scene. And they say, Jesus, you need to eat. You need to drink. You haven't eaten or drinking anything. He says, I have food to eat that you know nothing to eat that you know nothing of. What's the greater miracle here? That God provided for this widow physically or that God provided for this widow spiritually? I think a lot of us would say physical. Amazing thing. This, This bowl with flour that never runs dry. This oil that never goes out, never lacks. Oh, friends, the spiritual is much more miraculous. Much more miraculous and much more Beautiful, because God sent his son to live the life that she could not live. And if you don't get it, I think that the widow was a believer. (laughs) I really do. Not explicit in the text, but man, I think it's implicit there. I think it's dripping from there that she was a believer, at least by the end. So much more miraculous, the spiritual need that God provided there. Jesus, again in Matthew 
Or in, in confronting the devil says, man does not live by bread alone, but from every word that proceeds out of your mouth. Proceeds out of the mouth of God. God provided Jesus spiritually. He provides for us that same way. So we need to ask ourselves this morning, how does God today, 2022, provide spiritually for his people? How does he do it? i got five ways for you. Five ways. Number one, Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ. Remember the first two verses of Hebrews? God, who at various times and in various ways spoke through the prophets, now speaks to us through whom? Jesus. Jesus is that most important way that God speaks to us, Him he Himself being God. He spoke to the prophets. He now speaks through His Son. And, and friends, it's not just knowing about Jesus. It's not just being able to run down all this list of, oh, He is this, and He is this, and He is this. And he said this, and he said this, and he said this. No, it's knowing him. Knowing him. He says in Matthew 11, Come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden. I will give you rest. What's the prerequisite to coming to Jesus? What's the prerequisite in that verse to coming to Jesus? Being weary and heavy laden. Having a burden. Being tired. Being in need, in desperate need. That's the prerequisite to coming to Jesus. And then what does he say? Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. My yoke is easy and my burden is light. What, what is the yoke of Jesus? What is his yoke? What is his burden? It's easy, it's light. It, it's almost, I heard somebody describe it one time at, at a study just a couple weeks ago. It's almost, an, it's a non burden. Jesus' burden, it's a non-burden. So he wants to take our burden off, put it on himself, and take his burden off and put it on us. It's a non-burden. It's easy. It's light. Know him, be in communion with him. Take example from Jesus who would often steal away and pray. How many times did we read in the Gospels of Jesus stealing away and praying? He desired to commune with the Father. And have that closeness of relationship that, that he didn't necessarily have here on earth. That he had prior to condescending and becoming man. He longed for that. He needed that. It was that food that he had that we, they, the apostles knew nothing of. Brothers and sisters, that is our example. To go to God. To commune with him. To know him. That's number one. Number two. The third person of the Trinity. God, the Holy Spirit. He has given His Spirit to us as believers that lives inside and dwells with us and has sealed us for the day to come. Peter, when he's talking before the council after he had been arrested and, he, and he's brought before the council, he says in, in Acts chapter 5, verse 32, that the Spirit was given to those who obey God. When you're reading Scripture and you're reading a text, and maybe you've read it multiple times before, but all of a sudden this light is shown and you see it in a different way than you have ever seen it. The Spirit illuminates to us what, what is here. And, and we see it applied. I don't know how many times, countless amount of times, I've been in my daily reading and it just seems, uh, doesn't apply to anything. And then I'm walking throughout my day and all of a sudden that verse I read pops into my mind. And it's a perfect perfectly applicable to what I'm going through in that very moment. Friends, that's the Holy Spirit doing that. That's not my own intellect doing that. That's God doing that through His Spirit. He guides us into all truth, Jesus says, of the Spirit in John chapter 16, verse 13. He illuminates this for us. His hand is, is in salvation. It is in sanctification can't wait to see what it will be like in glorification. It's the second help, the second way that God nourishes us spiritually. Third way that He nourishes us spiritually is through His Word. Through His Word. We who are of, of, of uh, Baptist tradition, sometimes we like to lift this up, and maybe this would be number one, but 
But I actually, and actually, just so you know, I, I put that in my notes. I had the Bible as number one, and then as I was going through the list, I'm like, wait a second, the Bible shouldn't be number one. Jesus is number one, the Holy Spirit. Uh, if you wanted to rank them numerically, uh, maybe that's a bad thing. Anyways, God gave us his word. Second Timothy tells us that all scripture is given by inspiration, is profitable for doctrine, for proof, correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. Thoroughly equipped for every good work. We need to spend time in His Word. Do we desire it? I, I, the, the verse that echoes in my mind is, is from the Beatitudes. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. They will be filled. Friends, do we long to hear from God? Go to Him absolutely, but read His Word. Seek to, to see His face here in Scriptures because... Jesus said, these are the Scriptures that testify of Him. So we want to have that deeper relationship. We want to know more about Him. We go here. It's all inspired. It's all pointing to Jesus, Old Testament and New Testament. It's all pointing to Him. And the Spirit uses this. That example I gave earlier about how many times in my daily reading that the Spirit just applies a verse and makes it perfectly applicable to that situation. Would that have happened spontaneously had I not read God's Word? The Spirit would have had nothing to wield in my heart. Nothing to pierce my mind with. But because I'm in His Word, because I'm reading it, the Spirit takes that and it yields, wields it and uses it in my life. Friends, we cannot disarm the Spirit. We need to dive in this. Jesus, His Spirit, the Bible. Number four, Preachers. Do you view that every Sunday when Dallas gets up here, or Christian or Harrison or Clark or anybody else that stands here preaching, do you view that as God speaking to you, God having a word for you at that time? That's exactly what it is. That's exactly what it is. Romans tells us that how can they call in whom they've not believed? How can they believe in whom they've not heard about? And how can they hear without preachers? People that proclaim. That's one of the means of grace that God has given His church today. The faithful preaching of His Word. It is a mercy of God to have people study and, and pour into this and then pour into you. And friends, it's not, it's not Dallas. It's God. We're not trying to lift you up, brothers. <laughs> anything you're not. Friends, it is God speaking to us through preachers. I'm thankful for my pastor. You heard from the last Sunday. Much more eloquent of this than I am. But this is a mercy that God gives us, a means of grace to hear from him just as Elisha was in those days. Jesus, his spirit, the Bible, preachers, and fifth, finally, how God speaks to us. Each other church. The church. We read in Romans 5.14 that we are to admonish one another. We read in 1 Thessalonians 5.11 that we are to comfort and edify one another. We read in Hebrews chapter 10 verse 25 that we are to exhort one another. Friends, I was so thankful when I, when I looked at the opening on, this, on your bulletin this morning. It says, to all who are spiritually weary and seek rest, to all who mourn and long for comfort, to all who struggle and desire victory, to all who sin and need a Savior, to all who are strangers and want fellowship, to all who hunger and thirst after righteousness, to all who will come, this church, Burt Memorial Baptist Church, opens wide her doors and offers welcome in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Friends, another means of grace that God has given us is one another to pour into the lives of each other, to point out sin in one another, to encourage, to exhort, to edify, to admonish, to suffer when one suffers, to rejoice when one rejoices. Oh, friends, do not neglect this means of grace that God has given us. Do not neglect it. Anytime you are able, when the doors are open, come meet with God's people. Meet with us. And those of us who are here, our, our point, our goal is to point one another to Christ. 
Not to point one another to programs or, or to singing or, or anything else or how eloquent somebody speaks, but to point people to Christ. He is the one who can change people. We cannot. We are just beggars telling other beggars where to find bread. That's all we are. That's all we are. That's a mindset we need to keep. So as we seek to hear from God, are we always on cloud nine? Is it always just this really close communion? No, it's not, is it? Job reminds us of that in chapter 23. He says, I go forward and you're not there. I go backward and you're not there. I go to the left and I can't can't see you. I go to the right and I can't see you. We need to be real with one another. That Sometimes this, this life is hard. Again, back to what Jesus said in Matthew, come to me all you who are weary and heavy laden. Friends, that's not just lost people. It's definitely applicable to lost people. But it's His people. When we get discouraged, when we get down, when it seems like there's just no hope in this situation, when we're like the widow, we're just gathering sticks to make this last meal, and then we've just given up, we're going to die. We're like Job, we're looking. We're, we're reading the Bible. We're, we're praying. We're, we're trying to have that communion with God. We're, we're going to our preachers. We're, we're going to one another. We're trying to hear from Him, and sometimes it just seems that He's far from us. Friends, this chapter is for you. This chapter is for me. Let's start again in verse 9, chapter 17. We see that God's provided another way for Elijah to go to Zarephath, which belongs to Sidon. Stay there. Behold, I've commanded a widow there to provide for you. So Elijah arose, he went to Zarephath, and he came to the gate of the city. Behold, a widow was there gathering sticks. We just talked about that. And he called to her and said, get me some water. Now, she didn't say anything about that, did she? She was going to go, she was going to get him a drink of water, and she was going to come back and give it to him. It seems like maybe they had water. But then he presses it further. And I'm not saying Elijah was doing this spitefully or any sort of mean spirit, but he was pressing it further to help her see her need. And that's key. To help her see her need. So he presses it further and he says, as she was going, verse 14, please bring me a piece of bread in your hand. Well, the water didn't seem to be as much of an issue, did it? And she, she was going to go do the water and bring it back to him. But when he mentioned bread, that need arose in her mind. She saw and she, she knew, I, I don't have anything. I don't have enough flour. I don't have enough oil. I can only feed two people and then we're just going to sit here and die. Friends, that's what God at times does to us. He presses us. Maybe he says, go get some water. And we're like, okay, <laughs> we'll go get some water. But then he presses us further. And he exposes what we, what we hide sometimes. Just like Elijah is here with the widow. He exposes it. And then all of a sudden we see revealed and we're just, God, I can't. Lord, I, I don't have any strength. I have no ability. Father, I've been doing all these different things. I just can't anymore. I'm just going to sit here and die find yourself in that situation? I can tell you before my daughter's second surgery, I was in that situation. I think the first time I just relied on man's ability, the ability of the doctors to be able to save her. But that second time I realized doctors really can't do anything. They don't have the power over life and death. They can do their best intentions. They can, they can maybe do some stuff. Just patch it up unintended. But they can't save. They can't provide life. And I was desperate. I would say before that first surgery, my heart was 
was very confident in the sense of uh, God will provide for her because the, the surgeons had said the 90% success rate with the surgery. 90% success rate. But God pressed as he does sometimes. And with that second surgery, my prayer changed. It wasn't a prayer of confidence in our ability or the doctor's ability. It was a prayer of need for God. It was a prayer of Lord, I don't know what your will is here. I don't know if you will spare her, or I don't know if this will be it. Father, you are good. I need you. I need you. It was hopeless, void hope, because God exposed in me. My confidence was not in him like I thought it was. My confidence was in myself place somewhere else, but God pressed and showed me my need for him. Just like Elijah did with this widow. I have no bread, only a handful of flour in a bowl and a little oil in the jar. I'm just gathering sticks that I can prepare this, my son and I can eat and we can die. Do you sense her lack of hope there? I hope you do because I think that's exactly why it's there, to show us the lack of hope she had in these physical things. And what's Elijah's first response to her in that situation where, where God has pressed her to expose that need, to show her that she was not relying on him, but relying on herself. And she's wide open before Elijah. And what does Elijah say? Do not fear. Do not fear. Oh, wow. This, it's, like, it's like a cold water. It's like a cup of cold water to our soul when God tells us that, isn't it? Don't fear. And I went into that second surgery with, with no hope in myself but dependence upon God and whatever the outcome was going to be. It was, if it had gone the other way, it would have hurt. It would have been so incredibly difficult. I can't imagine what it would have been like. But God was telling us, do not fear. Do not fear. Elijah's first words to that widow after that exposure, do not fear. And then he doesn't just automatically provide, does he? He tells her the doctrine, but then the application has to be there on her part. There is her responsibility. He says, go and do as you have said, but make me a little bread first. She had to go. She had to be responsible in this and trust God. He says, bring it out to me afterward. You may go and make one for yourself and for your son. I would be tempted if I was that widow to say, didn't you hear what I said? I only have enough flour and oil for two people, myself and my son. I don't have enough food for a third person. But she trusted in Elijah's words, the word of God. that Elijah was saying. Verse 14, For thus says Yahweh, God of Israel, the bowl of flour shall not be exhausted, nor shall the jar of oil be empty. Or a different translation of that is shall the jar of oil lack until the day that Yahweh sends rain on the face of the earth. So God told her the promise through Elijah and she had to trust and go and do that and gather that flour and gather that oil. And the oil there, it's kind of like bread and butter is, is what's going on there. So bread and butter, making bread from that flour. And there's no implication here that when she took from the jar, it automatically refilled. <laughs> or that the jar was just overflowing. She went back and it was just overflowing. We don't see that as happening here. We just see that it shall not be exhausted. I can only imagine as she reached whatever it was into that jar to get the flour, it scraped the bottom. You have a flour jar at home? Ours, when it gets low, you have to go to the store, buy more flour. But when you, when you put in that measuring cup or whatever you use, that spoon, it scrapes the bottom and you realize your need. We didn't have clear jars back then, so I imagine it just, the scrape, that sound just reaffirming to her, we don't have any. 
And that oil, whatever it was like when she poured it out, realizing maybe it was just the last, just enough, and then put it back down. And then she just had to trust God. She just had to trust God. I say just like it's some minimal thing. <laughs> it's, it's absolutely not some minimal thing. But she did that. She made the flour. She, she brought the oil. She brought it out to Elijah. And then what do you think happened the next day? Again, it's not implicit. Or it's not explicit, rather. But I feel like she again reached into that jar and she heard that scraping sound again. And just thought, hey, it's happened again. Just trust God. Here's the flour. Here's the cake. Here's the water. Day and day and day and day. Every day hearing that scraping sound. But it was enough. It was enough for her. It was enough for her son. It was enough for Elijah. And friends, God is enough for us. There will be times when like David in this 23rd Psalm, our cup runs over. But there will be times like Elijah and this widow and her son where we just reach in and we hear that scraping sound on the bottom of the bowl. But it's enough. He is sufficient. I feel like before we end, I need to tell you the, the inspiration to this message. Um, Dallas, I think, texted me like three years ago and asked me to preach here. It wasn't, it was like a few weeks ago, but I'm an amazing procrastinator, and I'm like one that, he asked me for my sermon text and my title quite a few weeks ago. I was like, oh, I don't know. Ask me maybe a day before and I'll be able to tell you. It could change. Um, but I had just been at the T4G conference, and on the last day of the conference, like any good attendee, I was not in the, the congregational meeting. <laughs> I was not listening to the speakers. I was with an old pastor that I uh, used to go with in Cincinnati, used to be our pastor in Cincinnati. I was with, with another friend from our church there in Cincinnati. And we went, or the, the pastor and I went and visited a dear sister who was in the hospital there in Louisville. She'd been in the hospital for a few weeks at that time, and she was planning to be in the hospital for quite a few weeks after that. Um, she was a young girl. She was in her 20s, maybe early 30s. I forget how old Faith is. Um, but she's young, comparatively. And she and her husband were getting ready to have their first baby. And at around 19, 18 weeks or so, she had started to dilate. For those of you who've never experienced pregnancy or been with somebody who's experienced pregnancy, pregnancy, she's getting ready to have the baby at 18 or 19 weeks. Full term, or, or typically it's 40 weeks that, that a, a woman is giving birth to a child. So here we are at 18, 19 weeks. She's beginning that process. Her body's beginning to give birth. So she goes to the hospital in Louisville, and she's put on bed rest. Cannot get out of bed. She's not able to get out of bed. And she said she had been studying 1 Kings 17. And she, her prayer was, Lord, I just need one more day. Lord, I need one more day. That baby needs to grow and develop. Lord, just give me one more day. She still hasn't given birth to that child. She's now, last I heard, I, I texted her brother last night. Uh, she's at 34 weeks. Still hasn't given birth. She, she's been allowed to, uh, her respite is, is she can't, doesn't have to stay in the bed. She can go to a bench in a park and sit there and then go back to the bed. But her prayer there, what she told us was, Lord, just give me one more day. Back to what Jesus said in the model prayer. Lord, give us this day our daily bread. Friends, let's not seek abundance. Let's just seek what is needed. Seek what is needed. Those times of, of what seems to be quiet, not hearing from God, keep searching. Keep seeking for Him. Keep going forward and backward. Keep going left and right. Read His Word. Commune with Jesus. Listen to the Spirit. Talk to our pastors, our preachers. Talk to one another. Friends, God is never exhausted. He never lacks, but he always provides for his people what is needed at that time. Never exhausted. I read um, as we began this, this kind of what about when God's silent, I read from Job 
Let me keep reading from that exact same text as our closing this morning. Job chapter 23. We read about how he went forward and backward, didn't perceive him, went to the left and right, didn't see him. But listen to where Job takes strength. But he knows the way I take. Job says, God knows the way I take, the way I'm going. Friends, God knows your path. He knows the way He's leading you. He will provide. He knows the way I take. When He has tried me, I shall come forth as gold. My foot has has held fast to His path. I have kept His way and not turned aside. I have not departed from the command of His lips. I have treasured the words of His mouth more than my necessary food. It's so earnest here for Job to hear from God. He's put aside food because God is more important. That spiritual need is so much more important than the physical need is. Friends, I'm here to tell you today, God provides for both. He provides for both. Trust in Him. Be obedient to His Word. Desire Him more than food. His providence is never exhausted. And it never lasts. Let's pray. Oh God, giver of all things. Lord, we honor you. Lord, help us to see our inability. Lord, press on us so our needs are fully exposed. Because Lord, we don't even see our needs. We are that blind. But expose our need, Lord. Make us to rely fully upon you for your name's sake, that your name may be great in this land. Amen. God bless you.